Welcome to another edition of Consensus on Reality. You've been doing uh, the intros a lot lately. I think wow. you should let me do it. <laughs> you want to give it give it a shot? Welcome to another episode of Consensus on Reality. Wow, yeah, that's the thing, right? You gotta you gotta pause for a second. This Consensus is Consensus on Reality. Um, the real world. Yeah, this episode. This is a. Uh, as we mentioned on the last episode, we're um, hitting the ground running in 2024, trying to release um, a lot more episodes, um, you know, half of which yeah. will be on our Patreon and half of which will have some public content. Um, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, check that out for just $5 a month uh, at patreon.com slash consensus unreality. We have our full episode archive there. We only have a little bit of the archive. Small portion is on the public um, podcasting yeah. platforms. So it's all hosted on Patreon. You have the unique RSS feed that you can listen to it on whichever preferred website. Um, you have our backlog of written content. Um, tons of weird kind of experimental conjuration things that we we've, we've worked on in the past and we're going to be talking about some re-engagement of that kind of work in tonight's episode. Maybe for better or for worse, right, Ben? I think, well, I guess, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, somehow we've entered into another synchro weirdness spiral. Uh, maybe it's not a spiral. Maybe it's a cube. But, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Um so maybe not weekly episodes, but maybe weekly episodes. This, this is this is weekly so far. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there'll be a s- little bit more scatter shot, but I think that that'll be an interesting approach to the podcast that we haven't really done so far yet. Just kind of uh, an almost jazz-like back and forth. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I feel like we've gotten pretty jazzy in the past for sure. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm excited about kind of going through the thought process a little bit in terms of how we build our lengthier researchy episodes. Um, getting into some of that stuff this week with what I was looking at in the past um, few days. Um, yeah, me too. Some of the thoughts um, for sure. Um, but yeah, patreon.com slash consensus on reality. It's the, uh, best way to support us if you like what we do for the price of a latte ben five dollars a month Um, these days half a latte right and we're uh we're looking to add some really special new features this year to our second tier of patreon um which will be really cool getting us uh hopefully back into the physical media realm but more to be uh talked about on that in the future so what what have you been uh what have you been checking out this week? Um I've been reading this book uh The Resonance of Unseen Things by Susan Lepselter, uh which is incredible so far. It's a book I've like had on the shelf. I think I bought it like right not so far after it came out and I it's just one of those books it's like oh I want this you know for reference because it's it's subtitled Poetics, Power, Captivity, and UFOs in the American Uncanny. Uh, so it's it's an academic book. I guess you'd call it like a theory book. 
but and I have not finished this book yet, as is often the case when we end up talking about stuff. Um, although I feel like that's to the benefit of it sometimes mm-hmm. uh, to talk about an ongoing process of interacting with a book is it's it won't be as book reporty as if I were to be like talking about a book I just completed and lo- looking at the entire scope of it. I think it's kind of cool to be uh, in the middle of it, which I am now. Uh, anyway, it's a really fascinating book. It doesn't seem like it really landed with much of a splash the way like some of the other academic books on uh, these subjects have, like some of uh, Jeffrey Kripal's books or uh, at least the first book by Pasolka. This in some ways feels like a... a Pasolka's American Cosmic from a very, very different angle, whereas hers is, uh, I'm not sure what the word I would use would be, a bit more reverent of the reality of these things and how that is sort of forming this new religion, a new sort of UFO spirituality religion, especially among the sort of uh, technological centers in America. But this one is much more ethnographic, but in this weird sort of poetics way, it's it's about the... Actually, I'll just read the first paragraph of it, which I think is a pretty fascinating like thesis. Um, this is not a book about UFOs. It's not a history of UFO belief, nor a sociology of, believer, of believers. Rather, this is a book about a vernacular American poetics, something you can hear building up in the stories I will tell. The content of these stories varies, but their themes keep circling back to a sense that life in America is shaped by some ineffable, enormous power, a power that can be seen only in the patterns of its effects, which is oddly something we've kind of been talking about on this show, These seeing these enormous uh, synchronistic uh, objects that you can only really see through their effects, basically. And so I've started reading this since we talked about some of the uh, C.G. Young stuff last week um and yeah it's really actually kind of blowing me away uh it, this isn't like a extreme it's not extremely like reverent of of people's beliefs it's certainly looking at them as um subjects in a quasi ethnographical kind of eth- ethnographic uh study but at the same time she was sort of living with these people in this town she calls hillview um and she's switching out a lot of names with things to protect identity in this book but she was spending a lot of time with like ufo believers and how they sort of morphed into the sort of new world order kind of believers and she's kind of tracing this this thread of american speech which she kind of calls a poetics a way of talking about this blank somethingness that is behind the scenes sort of dictating or controlling American life. So it it changes from UFO abductees talking about them, the aliens kind of coming and doing what they'd like with you to, you know, like the Rockefellers or or what Mm. have you. Um, This, the way this them continues to morph and, and how, how it's spoken about, um, and maybe I'll I'll get a bit more into some of the specifics of the book later, uh, perhaps in the Patreon segment of the episode. But 
that's kind of what I've been interacting with lately on the whole, as well as continuing reading Lewis Hyde's Trickster Makes This World, which has had its own series of weird little revelations. What about you? Mm, yeah. Um, and that's that's funny too. It sounds almost like uh, Downardian, right? Like the uh, yeah that famous line in it, in uh, King Kill Thirty Three, where it's like behind Coca Cola and hot dogs, there lurks like this the what what's the what's the famous phrase in there? Um, yeah, at I least remember, I think it's famous. Where he's mean. like the psychosexual melodrama that that yeah, plays yeah. itself out. Um, it's, it almost sounds like it's kind of a relates to that of, of their yeah there's something endemic paranoid awareness yeah yeah it's, it's sociologically endemic of like americana um lot to un- lot to unpack there for sure yeah yeah i guess we can uh circle back to that as they say <laughs> yeah. in uh american offices do a couple loops um, uh, there's probably yeah. some of that in you know that's i'm sure that in one way or another what I've been reading this week could, could relate back into that. Um, I was listening to a, a different podcast, um, last week and they happened to mention John Keel's first book, which is called Jadu, um, which is supposed to be, uh, a Middle Eastern magical word that can, when said can open tombs, um, and close caskets, um, it's kind of like a, a phrase that can open magical doors, I guess. Um, like open sesame. Sure. Um, and uh, this book came out in 1957. Um, he was writing it in 55. Um, the reason why it appealed to me so much is um, I kind of never really heard anybody talk about this um, portion of Keel's work and the way that it was referred is that um, talking about the, the possible irreality or unre- unreality of um, yeah. these claims um, because the, the publisher basically billed it as a real life Indiana Jones. I think that was the selling hook for Jadu. Um, so I, I wanted to check it out and I was thinking a bit about yellow journalism and um the carryover from last week's episode um after having read Operation Trojan Horse by John Keel which is um his second book in 1975 but really is kind of the first proper book of of what his work would be um known as um known for I guess um but Jadu um uh, I was surprised. Obviously, there's, um, you know, an expected amount of exotica uh, making up the story, and um, it's kind of a it's it's more aware and less harsh in that uh, tone than you might expect from something written when it was. Um, yeah, but it's it's pretty interesting. I, I'm not sure the validity of a lot of the stories um and it kind of gets into the realm of it almost seems like there was a little bit of test kitting certain truth fiction kind of writing that would be um an aspect certainly of things like uh the mothman prophecies um which we kind of we're discussing a little bit um this 
Skeptico article that came out after Gray Barker passed I it's away. Uh, skeptic, the Skeptic Review or something. Or Skeptical Inquirer. Yeah. Right. Skeptico right. is the podcast. Right, 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 right. Shout out Skeptico. Right, right, uh, right. Yeah, what was that was by uh what's his name? Uh Sherwood, who Sherwood, yeah. He um forgetting his first name, but he um investigated the first Michigan flap of UFOs that later um the same sightings came to be tied with the um midwestern ohio eastern midwestern wow that's yeah a, i don't know that's is that a a region that actually exists but middle east yeah yeah right um uh, his like, name is john c sherwood yeah um but he so i don't know he in this article he's basically saying that um keel and gray barker obviously exchanged a lot of letters. Um, they were friends and Keel was kind of known amongst his friends for writing these like fantastic goofy letters. Um, but I guess within there, there's a lot of, um, aspects of the accounts that would make up the Mothman prophecies. And, um, Sherwood points out a lot of discrepancies between those original accounts and how they're told, um, in the book and i'm not really sure if that's it's not like oh well that that disproves the whole thing or if even if you need to you know i mean we're we're obviously yeah. not here to do that but i think it is it's interesting to start to parse out the the possible reality of of some of these things or, or what it might mean and that's kind of like what we were talking to um andy sharp with about Kenneth, Kenneth Grant and the yeah. possible reality of what um, the rituals at the new ISIS lodge could have potentially looked like theatrically or something. Um, it, it feels a yeah. similar way with uh, this stuff and Keel's work. Um, but yeah, I could, I could talk a little bit about some of the things in ja, in Jadu. Have you ever checked this one out? No, I never read it, yeah. but I think it, it brings up that interesting point of like, does it matter if the things in Keel or uh, Barker's books are true? Um, whenever I see someone kind of going after the validity of these things, as you often do, um, it's like, you know, it's a big part of the UFO culture is people going after older accounts and trying to sort of uh, contextualize them within a you know something else they're trying to sort of say that oh no this is not what was happening it was actually this and so, so i always kind of am like well you know they're building a folklore here and to think of it as it just seems like people approach it the wrong way um i think the distinction is is really interesting with keel especially um i saw some threads recently that were talking about um how jacques Vallée reviewed some of keel's work and and um spoke about the importance of things like operation trojan horse and the mothman prophecies and jail and Heineck as well um and i think it's kind of the way that the scene the, the ufology scene looks at keel as somebody who 
um, was trying to bring to light some truth or some, you know, truths about the phenomena. Um, and in that way, he kind of becomes this authority or, or voice on a certain lens that might describe um, the phenomena, whereas somebody like Gray Barker was, a, you know, m- um, admittedly a trickster and Jim Mosley as well. Um, right. So their their myth making is is kind of exists more in that world of of um, you know goofs and pulp and um, I feel like Kill has to be in there somewhere too. Though. Well, he is. I that's mean, that's the thing. Yeah, for like, and I, so it's funny yeah. he has this reputation because the if he's telling the truth, and I think that he is. I think he's doing he's doing that trick of telling the truth about the phenomena. Uh, about these various, you know, Mothman, UFOs, Men in Black, about these various things that constitute this this world. Uh, he's telling the truth about them by sometimes making stuff up and telling, a, you know, a true lie, as they say. Uh, that seems like, that's how I've thought of, of Keel. And whether or not any, in, any particular case in his books are literal telling of fact is i guess it's interesting to to know whether or not one of like those things really happened but it feels like he's doing something a bit more strange maybe than uh being like a reporter yeah i i think what in what i gather from what you're saying too is that it, it might be important in trying to reveal something occult in that you do it through a sense of narrative and myth making as opposed to you know releasing some dry um uh what's the word like survey of of ufology where it's kind of just like report after report um maybe using narrative in an interesting way effective more effectively um reveals something occult about the phenomena um yeah there's something in this uh lepselter book uh the exact quote it's toward the end of one of these early sections he says uh the stories here are the real objects Mm -hmm. so the the story like she's of course very interested in like the oral existence of these ufo encounter stories and these weird event synchronicity stories um but it's it is the actual telling of these stories and the way that they transmit and then transmute between people that is what she thinks the object actually is uh in this which feels in some way similar and maybe it's sort of coloring my thought on on the keel thing at the moment um as happens when you're reading a kind of a compelling book but this idea of resonance, which is in the title as well, is really important. She's kind of she's using it in the in the sense of trying to describe uh, apophenia, which is kind of funny that you know we were talking uh, about that that thing with uh, Carmelo a couple episodes ago, uh, apophenic realism, but she calls it resonant apophenia. Um, and so it's these, the similarities and the connections between 
things in this sort of conspiratorial or ufological way of thinking this i guess she's kind of describing synchro mysticism the it's a resonance it's not a you know it's not lines on a board that you're connecting Mm -hmm. exactly it's you like ring one thing and you see what else kind of rings in that same tone is sort of how she's describing this style of thought this kind of very maybe it's a little like american centric to call an american thing but i see what she means about that too about how this culture has sort of uh grown in the fertile soil of american whateverness you know whatever it is that makes america or made america i don't know if it's still this way made it this sort of uh paranoid land you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I don't know i i still think there's something there with uh you know the way that we've we've constructed american mythology to have that sort of like stranger um mentality you know like you can remake yourself in america um it's obviously a country made up of immigrants um and I, the the way that like you know the myths from all over the world and and that the settlers brought from Europe and stuff kind of got obscured and 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 ground down and and reemerge um yeah i think kind of fits into all of that um and also our cult like our you know we've we've filled a uh maybe a mythological void with um our pop culture and I think that we kind of like there, there is that sense of um, hyperactive connectivity that you see with like pop culture and symbology and the, the urge to want to like see meaning in things that are often mundane. Yeah. Um, maybe moving back into kill a little bit. I listened to a bit of a, I guess it was coast to coast AM interview that Keel did back in the day. And and I feel for some reason, like I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but thinking of like the Mothman thing, um, pre like whatever has happened since, like, I don't know exactly when it happened when Mothman became a sort of a, like a Pokemon for people. Uh, well, the movie but, like, probably, th- right? I think it must have been after that because the movie was kind of like a poorly received horror movie. Yeah, but I think it got the story out there in a different way. It did. Obviously. Yeah. At least. The legend. At least uh, it it got it. Yeah, it it gave it a digestible form, even if that wasn't, it didn't happen like immediately. I guess it it probably did inject it into the, the cultural brain a little bit, but yeah, listening to to Keel talk about the whole experience of the Mothman saga and comparing it to like like the sort of cryptid mania that we have, like maybe it's dying down a bit now, but for a few years it was sort of a I guess in the way like X Files and Aliens were sort of a signifier of counterculture. Um if it's even possible to have a counterculture today, I don't know, but it feels like they're like a signifier of this 
desire for a counterculture maybe mm-hmm. like being interested in like the mothman as a i don't know do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah uh i don't know i guess that is kind of just like there's there's always this urge you cannot transcend myths you know and, and the urge to want to like fill in myths or I, I guess that maybe they just emerge i mean um i don't know the the i guess i'll circle back to and 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 to keel and and what kind of got me reading jadu was um in in operation trojan horse he talks a lot about the airship wave of um yeah the late 1800s and for me like there's a whole crazy connection there i think i first heard about this when when some show was talking about um empire of the wheel which is by walter bosley um Hmm. we we read uh bosley's disney book like his book on disneyland um, for an episode um is that still up <laughs> hoping, I don't think it is. I was hoping you weren't going to ask. <laughs> wow. Sign up for the Patreon. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. To to me, like, there's this whole crazy connection in the Empire of the Wheel story. And if you look up this guy Charles Delshaw, this is all a real thing. Um, this this guy, his house was excavated, I think, in the 70s, and they found this book with these like really beautiful folk art collages and diagrams of airships Mm. um and this this story of the sonora airship club uh, i'm sorry the sonora aero club um which is you know probably a creation of charles delshaw not unlike um the you know the books that were found from henry darger um i'm not saying that he was you know similar personality wise um because darger's kind of an interesting reclusive folk artist but yeah um you know a similar thing that was found but then there's this whole backstory that gets checkered in with um you know a mr x kind of um intelligence figure and um a breakaway you know the idea of a breakaway civilization having developed some kind of airship technology and it's this flowery thing but if you read about the the airship st- wave, it, it really is something that's completely seems indebted to um, newspaper articles, and it was at the time at the height of like yellow journalism um, and the yeah. the war between uh, P- Pulitzer and and Hearst. Um, and there, there's if you read about yellow journalism, there's crazy stuff about it. Uh, its involvement in the Spanish American War, um, and the, the birth of um, I don't know the kind of propaganda that was like uh, so sensational it could cause like upheaval and stuff like that. Um, right. And then I think Pulitzer is the one who really kind of like he was the one who was supposed to be taking the higher road, and then um, he he was like he got his feet wet in yellow journalism because he was kind of defending himself. And then he pulled back afterwards and I don't know, it's this whole strange history, but to me, I don't know. The airship thing seems like it's something that could just be from, you know, yellow journalism of that era and that it kind of spawns into this whole mythology and Mm -hmm. it fits strangely into the 
ufological phenomena because not a lot of people talk about it. I don't think a lot of people know about it. Um, but it, it could also, you know, do more harm than good for <laughs> making the case for the thing, I think. Um, Maybe, but I guess the it absurdity depends what case. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what case wants to be made. I'm thinking like, more of like the UAP yeah. crowd on, you know, who are like, Oh, yeah, no, uh, they don't want yeah. to look at that. The nuts because, and bolters. Because, yeah. If I guess the only person that it would make much sense to use as evidence for would be people who think of this as some weird technologically disguised supernatural thing that changes with us. That's the only sort of, because otherwise it's just a, a totally bizarre anomaly um, in, in something where you're trying to make a scientific case for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yes. But so I don't know. That's why, that's why I wanted to really get into Jadu and there's a weird crazy coincidence too that really surprised me um and i have to say i mean we're talking about sensationalism and yellow journalism and actually for what i've read of this book so far i'm about you know three quarters through it's a really short book but it kind of had a lot going on in the past week um but he plays it pretty straight it seems like he did do a lot of traveling at this time um and there's a couple parts that's you know are, are a little bit harder to swallow than others, um, but he spends yeah. some time with the Yitzidis, um, which is I you know rings the uh, Lavenda bell immediately, right? Because <laughs> Lavenda talks about the Yitzidis and the connection, and Grant Grant writes a little bit about them too, but they are kind of this um, alluring occult object, right? They're interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an interesting religion, yeah. Um, for sure. Um, um they, they yeah, they, they cool. worship um they're basically a dualistic religion that seems to come out of uh be influenced by Zoroastrianism and uh obviously elements of Christianity. But they you know, they believe in God and, and the virtue of God, but they worship the devil because they believe that the devil will actually like spite you. So they huh. they kind of have like uh, are garnering the f the favor of of Satan, um, and I'm sure that's oversimplifying it, but that's that I think that's kind of what creates the uh, Western occult intrigue about the Yitzhidis. Um They seem to have really really they, I mean they have very very interesting um, temples and stuff like that you see in the photos, right? Of the CD, like yeah, uh, yeah, they're they're really crazy looking. Um, but they have like the peacock thing, right? Yeah, the peacock is the um, is like a symbol of their mythology. Um, I have a book on the CDs. I need to I need to dig into that. Um, but yeah, so Keel uh is he's in Egypt originally, and he's kind of just talking about like the hanging out with like smugglers and and he's trying to study like snake charmers and stuff like that and he learns all these magic tricks and kind of street tricks and um it's kind of hard to believe when you like see keel in an interview like later in life that this is the guy who's like out there doing this um yeah but i got it must have been a little bit uh a little bit cooler in the in the 50s or something um 
because he talks a lot know. about doing magic, like street magic with people in this. Book. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. Which, yeah, it's not a side of him I, I, I knew about, but maybe that's well known. Um, Jadu. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's in Egypt. Um, he kind of like gets really low on cash and then he goes to um, Baghdad and then this uh, rich sheikh there is like, you should come study the Yazidis. And then he goes there and it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Um, and then they tell him about the folklore of Alibaba and being this like actual revolutionary character of the Kurds from the Kurdish mm. revolution. And then Kiel talks about like going back to Baghdad and meeting Alibaba. And then he's, um, playing Russian roulette with him. So that's the part where I'm like this, there's gotta be a line here somewhere, but yeah, there's little things like that in there, but it's not, it's not, it's truly not that sensational. Actually. It's kind of a, an interesting travel log. Um, yeah. I want to read that someday. Um, it's kind of like how, uh, John Mack, his first book was about Lawrence of Arabia. Like, so there's this weird i mean i don't i wouldn't call that exoticism but it does seem like there might be a like orientalist to ufo writer pipeline to, to some extent certainly i mean adamski obviously had that as well um i'm sure it's just kind of, it was culturally in vogue you know like that's true right and the eastern mysticism stuff was so enticing and new to people so it may for especially for like thrill seekers or like spiritual questers i feel like it's a it's probably a pretty well-traveled path between those two things yeah yeah and obviously like there's you know theosophy has a lot of of course yeah but i i don't know if it's 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 more of a transmutation there um but it's certainly yeah. embedded. Theosophy Theosophy was the first remix. You think of Have that? you said that one before? I feel like that. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I hope not, because I felt like I just made it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old brain is uh, rying up. Um, another thing. So last time I talked about uh, this book, M.K. Jessup, uh, the the Allende letters and uh, gravity. It was called a Borderland Science book, and I talked about how it was annotated, and uh, how I was kind of going back and forth with uh, that guy Nick, a listener of the podcast and pretty serious archiver in his own right. And I think he kind of figured out that it might have belonged to this like crazy collector slash probable white supremacist named uh i guess i won't say his name i don't know if he's still alive mm. but we kind of figured out uh this fascinating connection and that kind of got me back on the trail of like how i feel like i saw some person on twitter talk about how like there's always a connection between ufos and nazis and I was like, that's kind of annoying to say. Uh, and I think that that's a dumb take. But at the same time, it's true. <laughs> I just wouldn't say it like that. It's not always there. But there is this really interesting relationship between 
like neo-Nazis, like post-World War II, not like real Nazis, but like post-World War II uh, Germanic fetishizing like subcultures and the UFO thing. And that crossover is so interesting. And I think that there's a lot there. And, and there's a lot there that has been studied by people like Jocelyn Godwin um, in that book we talked about a few years ago, which I just can't remember anymore about the hollow earth mm-hmm. uh, and pole, polar kind of uh, mysticism. But the whole Hyperborean thing, like all this stuff, all, all this sort of like these um, Nazi mythological kind of like keywords are so intertwined with the with the UFO thing. And it kind of put me in this weird mindset. Like, is there some strange Nazi aspect to like the death of MK Jessup? Or like, is there some sort of like mm. in the Allende Carl Allen in that Philadelphia experiment subplot? Is there some sort of strange, like, and, and the way it appears to people with like Jim Brandon, uh, the pseudonym uh like all of the sort of nazi stuff that flows through fortiana is so strange and interesting (laughs) and like yeah you just wonder like of all the stuff that has been uncovered all the pseudonyms and all the weird connections how much hasn't been uncovered like all of these Hmm. minor players who are annotating random copies of borderland publications zines basically pretending to be carl allen or the ghost of mk jessup like all this crazy shit that is like yeah it's just uh it kind of like opens this weird vista about about who is sort of who the movers and shakers are in this tiny little subculture you know yeah yeah i could already see a, a few jumping points when when looking at jessup like that but i feel like i've i've relegated myself to just you know believe that it's kind of a, a more of a straight story than than we think all... he just killed himself yeah i think i don't know i mean what do he i know definitely did. what do i <laughs> what do i know but i mean I, I i don't know why i feel like something we we looked at recently kind of made me feel that that was maybe it was the the barker stuff and the kind of the way that barker like took the story and changed it into this modern mythology. Um, but there, but then Jessup was interestingly like a, a hard critic of like um, Bible interpretive UFO stuff. And, you know, probably the, the rising ancient aliens type car, uh, um, Von Daniken cartel as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The cartel, <laughs> um, uh, the, the ancient aliens cartel. It does feel that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's also like when you when you say there's a, that there's been a, a Nazi intrigue in or neo-Nazi intrigue in ufological topics, I think that it's obviously it's more that they recognize that this is a fertile ground to um, spread clandestine ideas or like to recruit. You think it's like a, a recruitment zone, like because these people are already like open to fringe topics. I don't know. I mean, it's like the way that that both the uh, the Nazis and the communists were using theosophy during World War Two and you know World War One. Mm. Um, well, I guess it's even it's earlier. It's before World War One, really. But they were uh, like uh, 
there's a huge thing about um, looking at uh, theosophical lodges and the way that the Bolsheviks were supposedly um, basically using them as a recruitment tool. And, and that's the whole thing with Nicholas Rorick being um, this, mm. you know, people ar- argue whether or not he was um, this Bolshevik infiltrator within the theosophical lodges. Um, but I think it doesn't seem very Bolshevik to me. Oh, there was there was stuff. There was a lot of stuff with his son and and the way that his son was connected and, uh-huh. um, yeah. I mean, interesting. What, yeah, there, there's there's certainly out there. That's in that book, uh, Tournament of Shadows, which is this oh, yeah. crazy book on um, a lot of the war in 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 in, uh, in Asia around that time. Um, in the way that you know these figures kind of found their way. Uh, infiltrating these different political upheavals and stuff um it's a really that's a crazy book it's huge uh but there's a yeah there's a fascinating chapter just on rorick in there and i think they call him the guru Mm. um but yeah i mean i think the same could obviously be said for ufology we know that you know what the silver shirts and stuff and um pelly and all the early Uh. stuff has like uh it's using it as, as a tool, right? And obviously there's... George Hunt Williamson, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, especially the, the contactee stuff. Yeah, and then there's... I feel like it tapers off during, like, the abduction era, but it's still there. Um, And then it kind of reappears. I, I mean, no, it's always there, but I feel like it, it being, like, a, a main thread is more common in, like, the contactee stuff those connections yeah i mean there's also um obviously that we've talked about maria orsic and the way that that myth has kind of served as is some um neo-nazi uh i don't know it's it kind of like adds this uh mystical validity to the thing right, right. which is what it what it served to do like um, all fan fiction yeah, it's 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 fantasy. So I mean, that's like kind of the allure of it, and that, I mean that was yeah. such a powerful myth making that it's been told as true history so many times. I know it's people can't tell, and even trying to find out if it's real or not is like a weird challenge because it's so fringe. It's like nobody wants to actually do a real history of it, and so to find a real, you know, debunk of that story is harder than. Uh, you would think they would want it to be because it's a very infectious and very pro-Nazi like story. So it's kind of interesting that it it's uh, just taken as as fact <laughs> so yeah. often. Yeah, and I I think that um, obviously there's got to still be elements of it in the ufological nexus, but that could get into the the dangerous, wildly accusational terrain that. is is, uh yeah yeah is is not a good place to start but i um i do think it i would say that it seems more clearly abundant now in you know the new age communities and stuff and oh yeah maybe that's a good a good point for uh record scratch over to patreon (laughs) (laughs) that is oh that's nice man that's a good sell right there um yeah so uh, join us on a Patreon. 30-minute diss track after that. 
No, I have some serious tea to spill. Wow. Well, thanks for listening to the free portion of this episode of Consensus on Reality. We hope you enjoyed it. We're going to have some more interviews and some more uh, deep dives into research topics very soon. Um, this serving is one of those uh, in between little look. We got some little looks in though at some stuff, and I'm yeah. not really sure I could I could really extrapolate enough to do an entire episode on Jadu, but it's like it is it's right. an important, interesting read. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially in the context of John Keel and and how much of a uh, juggernaut he is to you know yeah. this area of research um so i don't know take a look at it if you've never if you never read it thumb through it um it's it's uh it's a part of the story for sure um patreon.com slash consensus unreality for just five bucks a month check it out and we have gonna, a discord yeah we'll jump over to patreon after this break And we're back from we're back that break. How did you uh, How did you enjoy the break? It was great. A lot has changed. I think I said that last. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, the way the. I mean, this is kind of what uh, Naomi Klein was talking about in that doppelganger book, the so-called like New Age Nazis. You know, like people who kind of drifted from going to yoga into uh i guess ostensibly like the pro-trump zone and then from the pro-trump zone into i mean maybe this wasn't the path exactly but you know eventually well, bro into they read like, build come on gaia tv you know um on patreon.com slash consensus on reality you will find bonus episodes written content and much more this recording contains an exclusive follow-up and bonus episode only on Patreon. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show.